It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King, episode 2022. 22 this week. Torn, how are you, my I'm friend? Well, thank you ever so much. I'm like not 100%. So if my energy seems to be a little off cadence, it's only because I'm trying to battle being better uh, for uh, my responsibilities in the morning. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the conversation. How are you? Um, you know what? It's It's been a bit of a rough week for me. We've had some really bad stuff happen in the news, and I can tell you it's taking a bit of its toll on yeah, me. Yeah, and then, you know, yesterday we lost an incredible literary giant. I want to start with a quote, uh, the function of freedom is to free someone else. Toni Morrison, she said that uh, in a speech that she was doing in 1979 at Bernard College. The function of freedom is to free someone else. Are you familiar with Toni Morrison? Yes, yes. So not not as much as I probably should be um, and kind of kicking myself now, but I've been reading a lot over the last couple of days and, and know some of her older work. Yeah, no, and I'm not as familiar either. So I'm certainly not asking in a punitive way, just simply asking. And one of the beautiful things about our recording the very same way that she was a literary genius and people that write and history, it's on record. And so when people go back, our children, when employees go back two years from now, five years from now, and they read or listen to this podcast, read the transcript or listen to the audio, we will be uh, on time in terms of capturing exactly what happened in history on this particular day. And it's so incredibly time. And, you know, Morrison was awarded the Nobel Prize. She was the first African-American woman to be um, given the Nobel Prize in literature back in 1993. You may know, Julie, that in May of 2012, President Barack Obama presented Toni Morrison with the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and she has a litany of other accolades, far too many to list on this podcast. But the piece that I want our listeners to take away, if they're unfamiliar with her, is that Toni Morrison was celebrated in the African-American community. She was celebrated for her writings because she concentrated on rural Afro-American communities and on their cultural inheritance. She explored the cold-blooded detail using vivid vocabulary. Tony was honest about what life was like. She was born down in the South. Her and her family escaped the South because of racism. Um, father was a sharecropper. Mom was a domesticate, domesticate, if I'm not mistaken, um, and, and actually took and did those same things when they moved to that beautiful Midwest, same area of the country where, where I grew up. But her intricate writing style, you know, 
does not just tell the reader about issues concerning African-Americans. She actually wrote in a way that showed you who we were. And that is why she is so incredibly celebrated in the African-American community and, and in many ways, Julie, across the entire globe. One thing that really kind of jumped out at me, and it's exactly what you just said, Torn, is that she she didn't she didn't tell the story. She, she submersed you in the story. And that consistently, as I was reading um, about her, today that was kind of the the main point that everyone had is is that immersion piece it reminded me and i thought it might be of some interest to especially our our weight listeners you know when i was in elementary school junior high we read a certain book that actually really, really impacted me called Let the Circle Be Unbroken by Mildred Taylor. And it was about sharecropping in the South, you know, post-reconstruction. And what was different about that book and what I think is is that, especially like from watching a movie, when you're reading a book, you become that person. You you see everything through their eyes. And for me as a young adult, um, that book in particular really, really left a mark on me about how Blacks lived at the time that wasn't nearly as far away as it felt when I was little. And I noticed that Tony also has some young adult literature. And I thought it might be nice on our show notes and in the Facebook this week that um, I'm going to list out some of those young adult and children's books that really can help when we're most moldable um, our, our children to understand in a in a more, I don't want to say empathetic, that's not the right word because that's not what I mean, but in a more honest honest way, some of the experiences that Black people have gone through in this country, both historically and and not so historically. Yeah, see, in the way that you just described it, you felt her her writings. You know, she was often criticized, Julie, for uh, not making white people the central or theme of the book, often criticized for that. And, and part of it was uh, just to kind of amplify what you said. You know, she sought to demolish what she called the lobby or the comfortable inviting threshold between a white reader and black text. And oftentimes that history is sanitized. You know, you just think about, you know, moving away from Tony for just a second. You think about hidden figures. And when did we hear about these women, um, these African-American women that were working for NASA and helping to get that 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 spaceship in, in the air? Like never. Right. Like 50 never. years later. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we've done mm-hmm. so much to sanitize history. And one of the things that I think readers or listeners are going to receive today, you know, they're just going to get an honest and they always get an honest conversation in listening to you and I, but they're going to get an even more honest conversation based on where I know we are are going to go. And I, I love that she did that. I want to just share with you uh, a quote that it resonated with me so, so deeply. Uh, but this is one of Toni Morrison's quotes and it's a bit long, but I'm going to read it. The function the very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being. Somebody says you have no language, so you spend 20 hours proving that you do. Somebody says your head isn't shaped properly, so you have scientists working on the fact that it is. Someone says you have no art, so you dredge that up. Someone says you have no kingdoms, so you dredge that up. None of that is necessary. There will always be one more thing. She said that in 1975, May 30th, 1975, in a public dialogue. And it is so true when we think about where we are as a country then and where we are 
as a country now. So we we absolutely lost a great and I'm thankful that Julie is open to having these types of conversations and that we are both able to share them with each and every one of you. And as Julie said, we're going to drop the books, some of her incredible writings in the show notes. If you find some time, grab a book and read it and let's talk about it. You know, hit us on Facebook, hit us on Twitter, shoot either one of us an email, but let's work to be better humans. We lost one today. Toni Morrison at 88. What are we going to do today, Julie? So we're going to we're gonna take a little bit of a turn from, from the normal. We're just going to kind of talk about one topic today. And, you know, we agreed to do this, Torn, because I think both you and I need to talk to to each other about it and to talk about the things that are happening in our country. And, and for me, it's really important that we set some guidelines and set some um, myths and tropes out to see about mental illness and help prepare DNI leaders on how to have these conversations after really bad things happen in our country. And if you're, you're listening in real time, we had two mass shootings in El Paso and, and Dayton um, this past weekend that left 30 plus dead. And it's been especially close to me. My, my daughter goes to college not very far from Dayton. One of her friends was injured. And um, a company that we work with, and I spend a lot of time in Dayton, um, had some employees that lost siblings. So it's always a discussion that I want to have, but this week it feels a little closer to home than it normally does. Did I hear you just say that you have a client that you support and someone in one of those clients lost someone, actually lost someone? Yeah, two, actually two, lot, two different people lost siblings. Two different people lost siblings and your daughter has another friend. So three. Yep. Three. Three. Three people. Yep. Got it. And in the matter of 25 seconds, right? Okay, go ahead. Yep. Yep. This isn't about politics. This isn't about guns or anything else, right? This is about what I see on a regular basis after one of these events occur. And that is the, the scapegoating, the scapegoating, it's the right word, of mental illness as the cause of mass shootings. Oh, now hold on. I want you to be fair, you know, because we are not, we're not trying to be imbalanced, if you will. We're not trying to be unfair, but I believe that the scapegoating was placed on mental illness and video games. So yeah, there was video games too. Yeah. And so, you know, this entire week since it's happened on Twitter, on Facebook and conversations with my friends and family, we've been dealing with these, these tropes, these, these individuals who committed these crimes, they are mental, they're crazy. They, uh, it's really about having those conversations on Facebook, on Twitter and in my, my family and in my personal circles that are lumping these evil acts in as a deficiency that can be defined and parlayed into a group, right? They must be mentally ill. They must be mental. They must be crazy. And that's easy to do because we as humans don't want to recognize that someone like us could be pushed to that place. And so there must be something deficient, And that deficiency can only be defined, at least in case of these mass shootings, as a mental illness or potentially video games, which I I think still kind of results in the same trope that something is broken in them when they play video games. So therefore, it is mental illness. Yeah, but see, again, you know, I I just want people to keep in mind that in in 
2019, we've had um, at least 17 uh, mass shootings or those that have been categorized as mass shootings. And that's on average one every 12.7 days this year. Looking at an article right now, headline says Donald Trump has run over 2000 Facebook ads describing immigration as an invasion since May 2018. Looking at another headline, you know, black drivers still disproportionately targeted in traffic stops in Ferguson. Looking at another headline that talks about young white men and they're growing up to be incels, you know. So, you know, we have all of these incredible headlines. And, you know, what's so disappointing for me is that when we start the story or the podcast with Toni Morrison and we know that part of the reason why she wrote was to really use her platform uh, for all of us to 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 see life as a mirror and to really hold that mirror up so that we could see who we are. And and it seems to me like too many of us are just simply ignoring what we see in the mirror. And I say us because I'm speaking about humanity. And while, you know, you and I may take certain positions on certain topics and others might take a different position on that topic, you and I might disagree on topics. I think that for the most part, too many of us are turning a a blind eye towards the challenges and the problems that we are facing right now. And right now, I think that there is a an increased fervor of racism. Uh, I think that there is an increased uh, sense of wanting to be tied to whiteness, if you will. Uh, and that's a problem. And it's not just a problem for me mm-hmm. as a black man or for those from Latin America, it's not just a problem for, or the immigrant, as they would say, it's not just a problem for those three audiences. It's a problem for you, Julie. Like you can't go to a movie theater. You can't go to a grocery store. You can't be inside of a concert in the middle of Vegas. It's not just a problem for us. The fact that people are chasing this invisible commitment or connection to racism and ignoring it and then lying behind the cloud, the smoke, the bullshit of mental illness and video games. It is a problem for all of us. And all of us are at risk of perhaps being the person one day to have to pick up a phone or worse, not be able to pick up a phone because we've lost our life. I I have to send my kids to school tomorrow. Let's just talk about the anxiety that lives when the fact that I have to do that every single day for the next two years. And, you know, you're you're just so spot on because this in in El Paso, the shooting appears to be racially motivated in Dayton. We don't know what the what the motivation was yet. No, no, no. What, What do we do? What do we know about Dayton? We do know that we do know that uh, it was a white perpetrator who who killed his own sister, who was also white and injured the other gentleman that was in the vehicle or friend that was in the vehicle with them. And the rumblings at this point haven't been confirmed, but the rumblings are that he was upset because she was dating a black man, his sister. I haven't I haven't even heard that part yet. Yeah. So, and I, yeah, wow. Okay. So yeah, I didn't even, I didn't know that. I mean, this, this young man has a history of violence, uh, violent ideation and, and, and rape ideation. And, 
is part of a culture, was part of a culture that is full of misogyny and violence against women and has has a lot of violent tendencies. But there is nothing in either the El Paso shooter or the the Dayton shooter that we know of at this point that includes a mental health diagnosis. And so when we are looking at gun homicides in the past 10 years or so, right, fewer than 5% of those were carried out by people diagnosed with mental illness. And of, of all of the 45 million Americans in this country that live with episodic or chronic mil- mental illness, so that's roughly one in five Americans, the, the vast majority will never be violent. Only about three to five percent of the violent acts committed in this country can be attributed to an individual living with a serious mental illness. And the reality is, is that people with severe mental illness are actually 10 times more likely to be victims of violent crime than the general population. Instead of dealing with exactly what you just said, instead of dealing with the problems that are in front of us, right, whether that's racism, whether it's too many guns on our street, whether it's leadership that is promoting racial division in this country, we choose to, and the dozens of conversations that I've had in the past three days since this happened are, it's it's mental illness. We Let's just agree that it's mentally ill people and that we have to you know get their guns away from them and that we have to make sure that they can't hurt people. But the facts don't bear that out. And the facts don't give a fuck about our feelings right? They don't give a fuck about our opinions. The fact is, is that mentally ill people are more likely to be victims of a crime than they are to commit a crime. Yeah, no, again, and Julian, when you think about it, you, 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 have, you have the conversation every single time one of these mass shootings occur, they, they want to attach mental illness as the, the narrative. This time they added in video games, which was so just I laughed when I saw that in the pain and the 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 disappointment of the events that happened. I absolutely laughed because I said, when you talk about um, Chicago or you hear someone talk about Chicago, they never say anything about mental illness. They never say anything about video games. It's just black on black crime. It's just hoodlums or you know, animals killing one another. It's just, you know, whatever. It's it's those type of people who are prone to violence. They are just barbaric. That's who they are in Chicago or in Detroit or in Baltimore or in Compton, any other place where it's primarily black people and the murder rate is high. Crime is high. But when you think about these mass killings, well, because see, here's the difference. Crime, it, I kind of expect certain things to happen in a criminal empire. Like I expect certain things to happen when I go to to a casino. You know, I'm going to put some dice on the table. I'm going to throw some chips on the table. There's certain things that are supposed to happen in that environment. In a criminal environment, there are certain things that are going to happen there as well. Good and bad, but that's what's going to happen in a criminal environment. Well, when I go to a, a movie theater, I expect to watch the damn movie and drop some popcorn on the floor and drink a soda that's, you know, incredibly large. That's not good for me in any way. But I don't expect to have, 
you know, someone pull a gun out. So if I, I can avoid a crime area and I'm all right. But what I'm saying to our listeners is you can't even go to Walmart and buy that cheap ass stuff from Walmart without wondering whether or not you you are going to walk out of there. With you. But I think about John Crawford in Ohio who was murdered in a Walmart because he had a gun that the Walmart was selling black man. He's in a Walmart purchasing or holding whatever. He's got a gun in the Walmart that that Walmart was selling and the police ran in and took his life. Yet we got a dude in El Paso who can kill 20 people and walk out in handcuffs. I got a guy in New York named Eric Garner who can't even sell cigarettes on the street without losing his. So for me, there are different arguments in this instance, listeners, we are connecting them, but only in this instance, I'm not suggesting that gun owners are racist. I'm not suggesting that gun owners are white nationalists or domestic terrorists. I'm not suggesting any of that. But what I am making sure that you understand clearly without like no pause. If you are listening to our podcast and you don't understand that we have a problem with silence, we have a problem with too many of you not recognizing institutional racism, that it's happening in so many different ways in how we live. If you don't recognize that your committedness to being white is a threat to me and to you, then you are listening to the wrong podcast. Like literally you are listening to the wrong broadcast. Go out there and find NPR or get some shit off of Disney world. You, you can listen to that. But if you are missing my point that we must address racism We must address domestic terrorists and white nationalists. And we got to do something about people having access to guns. And we got to do all of that honestly and not be willing to fall behind the curtain of mental illness and video games. We can't do that. That shit is dangerous for all of us. This is it's an otherness conversation. When people in Chicago, uh, people of color in Chicago die, we don't talk about mental illness. When Muslims are radicalized and perpetuate violence, we don't talk about mental illness because they're already the other. And so when a white person commits an atrocity like this, then there must be some other way that the general white population can make them the other. And they do that through mental illness. Like in so many of our other stories, Torn, we find that misogyny and racism and ableism intertwine together so in in a way that is so hard to see until you start to pull back the layers of the onion. D&I leaders, understand that your peers, your leadership and your workforce with mental illness and who are people of color are looking for you to lead the way. And we need to stop these tropes in their place. We also need to consciously recognize our own fears and biases that may be driving those negative stereotypes in our conversations and the words that we use. And and guess what, y'all? Racism is not a disability. Racism 
even in its most extreme forms, is not a disability. And it becomes easier to dismiss racists acting out and ignore people with disabilities by lumping them all together and saying that that must be the driver behind this behavior. And it's not. And I'm just saying to to all of our listeners, you know, it was really a tough week, tough weekend, tough beginning of the week. And and it's just Wednesday. You know, it's just Wednesday in August, August 7th, to be exact. And and who knows what's going to 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 unfold uh, as we as we push through the remainder of this week, remainder of this month, end of summer and then into Q4. Who knows what other um, instances and events that are going to manifest and be in front of us. But when I talk about, you know, institutionalized racism, I, you know, I speak all around this country. I speak internationally. And one of the things that I say, Julie, and, you know, almost every presentation is that you have to, you have to check, you know, your DNI efforts, your numbers, your will. You have to check that at every single value point in the organization, not just recruiting, not just sourcing, not just hiring, not just in, uh, you know, leadership and promotions, but that you have to check that in corporate social responsibility and in supply chain, uh, in logistics, you need to be checking in in uh, corporate governance, in the legal department, I mean, everywhere. But for this particular podcast, what I want people to know is when I talk about institutionalized racism, I'm talking about in religion and nonprofits in banking, in agriculture, in welfare, healthcare, mental health, media, 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 military, housing, education, philanthropy. I'm talking in transportation, sports and entertainment, waste management. I'm talking in, you know, social services, judicial system, in insurance, banking and lending, banking and lending, redline, redline, redline. Think about that redlining. I'm talking about urban planning, government. I'm just prisons, politics. If you're listening to the podcast, all I'm asking you to do is understand that we don't approach this conversation in a punitive manner, but more of a promise because we firmly believe that we can shift the narrative and that you're disconnecting from that commitment of being white and my disconnecting from having to be black, which is a result of your being white, mind you. And I don't have time to go into the history lesson, but I wouldn't have to call myself black if if the the anthropologists, I believe it were, uh, or the scientists or the doctors didn't establish back in like 1790 or whatnot, this color of white. I wouldn't have to do that. But if you disconnected from that commitment and that cover and that silence of being white and allow me to disconnect from being black and we just be human, I think that we'll find ourselves in a far better place. Let's uh, let's let's wrap it up on a little bit of a lighter note and and get in our name drops for this week. Torrin, do you do you have any for us? Some good people out there. I got some great love on Twitter from a number of people. You know, Eddie Glaude did an incredible job on MSNBC. Uh, if you have not seen the two minute or so piece that he did, you know, an academician, just an incredible scholar, could never do it the way that he does it, nor do I want to. I enjoy doing it my way. But if I had to do one right now, 
in these particular times, my name drop would go to Eddie Glaude. That's bonus. I'll, I'll definitely um, post that on, on the Facebook because it was outstanding and he has been outstanding as always, but this week especially. So I've, I've got a, a few name drops. Um, Imani Barberin, who is Crutches and Spice uh, on Twitter, if you follow her. Shout out to Imani, yes. Who wrote a, a great article on Forbes about mental illness, mass shootings, and, and racism this week. And she's also just agreed to be an upcoming guest on her podcast. So I'm so, I, I, I've totally got a girl crush on her because she is awesome. And then I want to give a shout out to my team at Disability Solutions, uh, the folks at Pepsi and at Purple, um, who killed our presentation at the NILG last week. Good job, guys, getting the message out there. And finally, to Director Craig Lean of the Office of Federal Contractor Compliance, who clearly stated last week and, and third time that I've heard this year that the prioritization of disability and employment for his office is at the same level of, of race and gender, and not just around hiring and utilization, but also around and comp and, and being able to promotion and that kind of thing. So that's huge for, for my community and really feel like we've got a great advocate who is not about punishment, but is about creating solutions that work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Not about punish, but chasing promise. Shout out to uh, Craig Lean, you know, because that is a very, very big step. You know, he goes back to one of the conversations that we had earlier in the year where people are trying to constrict uh, the definition of diversity and making it more often than not about race and gender. And as of late, more about gender than race. But, you know, I try to share with people that diversity really is a very, very broad definition. And while it may manifest and show up in race and gender in the end, there are certainly some other layers to it that we can equally consider. And while you as an organization may not be able to chase all of them, you can certainly chase some of them. And I love that Craig has decided that he wants to chase some and not just one or two. Yep. Boom to Craig. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know, Tor, I'm, I'm home for the next few weeks and I'm just kind of resting up and ramping up for fall conference season, which is going to be pretty uh, out of hand. But I, I know you uh, got a couple of things coming up right now or in the middle of a couple of things. Yeah. So shout, um, listen, later today when this drops, you know, you can get on Twitter um, and you can follow the hashtag. I'm at the Social Recruiting Strategies Conference in Philadelphia. I'm actually emceeing the event, so I need to make sure I get my energy all the way up. But check the hashtag uh, SRSC or the hashtag SRSC Tribe uh, on Twitter or over the next two days, August 6th, 7th and 8th. Uh, and you will really get to hear and see from some incredible speakers, Carrie Noon from CBS. Um, you got James Maribel from Lilly, Susan Lamott. I love Susan Lamott from Exacquio. Uh, the Godfather, Jerry Crispin, is going to be here doing his thing as always. My man, Craig Fisher, Abby Cheeseman, you and I both love Abby. Isn't Tristan doing some work with SkillScout? Yeah, so he's just wrapping up his summer internship and Abby's counterpart, uh, Lena Valentine, has actually just agreed to be a guest as well. Oh, beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. You got Crystal Miller-Lay from uh, Branded Strategies going to be there over the next couple of days. And then my brother, uh, Mr. Andrew Godomsky from Aspen Analytics. So it's going to be an incredible lineup. You can find more socialrecruitingstrategies.com. They do two, maybe three SRSC conferences a year. They do some other events. So make sure you check them out. Awesome. Well, rest up, feel better, and uh, we'll definitely catch you on the Twitter tomorrow. 
You got it. And as always, I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with another friend. Tell that friend to tell another friend. But more importantly, when you are in your workplace, when you're in your community, I want you to find your voice. I want you to work at being a better human. I'm not suggesting that you're a bad human, but I want us to be a better, more transparent, more honest, more amplified human. I want you to have an awesome rest of the week. You can catch me on Sirius XM this week, channel 126, 1 p.m. on Sunday, uh, where I'm going to be uh, interviewing authors for all of August. So looking at business related books for the month of August. So catch me on Sirius XM. And for now, Julie and I are ghost. See ya. Thanks for listening to Crazy and the King. I'm Julie Sowash with my co-host, Torin Ellis. Follow us on social media, but you can also now find Crazy and the King on Facebook at our website, crazyandtheking.com, or follow our hashtag like you have been. This episode was produced by me, Julie Sowash. Our music is by the amazing DJ Cells straight out of Baltimore. And if you like our podcast, please rate it and share it with a friend. See ya. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.